Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. On today's show, we have a very special guest. His name is Michael Fasheen, class of 08. And in you addition- knew Michael, didn't you? Yes, we. I knew Michael as Mike. Mike and I uh, attended Rowan University at the same time. We were both class of 2008 and our paths crossed freshman year in Chestnut Hall. And to this day, we share, we haven't really been in contact, Mike and I, but we share fr- a friend group. Um, so it but was we catch really up with them. We catch up with them here and you guys kind of little play catch up at the music you list, used to listen to. Yeah, and- core college memories Michael is a part of, but now he's off doing totally different things. Tell us about what Michael is doing. Okay, so he is currently, so he started as a bio major, but now he's got this place called Ad Badger. Yeah, he's got two, another place another too place called too. Search Scientist. Yeah. So he's got his hands full in the tech world. So in between, we do talk about his uh, journey from Rowan to his current career, which included lots of great travel. He also uh, taught biology in uh, central Jersey for a few years before he kind of took off and did all of this traveling, teaching English in uh, South Korea. We talk, we actually do talk quite a bit about his travels and what his favorite part was and it was really an interesting um, journey because I haven't really talked to Mike since, well, I'm not going to say how, well, you can do the math, 2008. That's a long time. And not for nothing, the guy lives on Lightfoot Trail. How cool is that? I know. Did you make that road? I didn't. Are you going to go visit now? Yeah, I am now. Okay, perfect. So, Jess, I'm going to say we're in the, the Badger Den today. <laughs> Is See that a I, thing? That's a ba- the Badger Den, right, Michael? That's right. Yes. All of our customers, I say, come on into the Badger Den. So, so Michael, uh, why don't you tell us what we have going on as far as what the Badger Den is? In 2017, I started a company uh, called Ad Badger, and it's an e-commerce marketing software company. And we basically help companies that sell on Amazon help them better optimize and organize their marketing campaigns. So it's very likely that you've gone to Amazon, you've made a search for something, and the thing that you clicked on was potentially helped positioned due to ad badger now see i know we have to get back and fill in the blanks before that but yeah. i just figured you wanted to dive right into what an attention Mike's grabber to a podcast you say let's get in the badger den that attracts attention so tell <laughs> us about your badger den that you're in right now what you got behind you, you we see a badger we see you have podcast um, mics and stuff because you host a podcast right tell us about a not a real about- badger though no, 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 not a real, not a live badger, but there is not a live in the one corner there. Yeah, so, so tell us about right. your den there. What, what you yeah, got going there. on in there? Yes, I do uh, have a podcast in, you know, 2017, I started a podcast talking about Amazon marketing and Amazon advertising that companies that sell on Amazon could listen to and sort of learn some of the latest tips and tricks. And it's been one of the most valuable things that I've done in terms of our company growth. It's been really great to connect with people to sort of uh, give them that door to our company and sort of what we're about and our values. Uh, And they can leave each episode sort of learning a little bit more about 
the skills and strategies that they will need to sort of get a leg up over their competition uh, on Amazon. So yeah, it's been it's been a really fun pursuit. Uh, I like to get really creative with it. Um, like we got a singer to a cover band singer to sing a Queen song like We Are the Champions instead of, you know, instead of We Are the Champions, it says, you know, we are, you know, the Badger Den, which is like the name of the podcast, <laughs> uh, which is really, uh, we've had, I like, it's been a fantastic creative outlet, especially because, you know, our industry can be a little bit dry. I've had a lot of fun getting really creative and letting out that, that fun component into the podcast. It's been great. Now let's rewind because you're talking about somebody singing. We have some guitars in the background here. Yep. Michael and I went to college together. We were the same year. We lived in. Mm -hmm. I know. I lived on the second floor, Mike third floor. Yep. One of my core college memories is you playing guitar <laughs> in yep. all of the common areas, specifically a lot of dashboard confessional at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh whoa. Let's Very dig emo. deep into that. Little known Very fact. Emo. So mm -hmm. let's start by saying, what's your favorite dashboard confessional song? Oh, man. I think hands down. Easy one. I sang that for my high school talent show. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you sang a lot of Godspell too, right? Oh, yeah. I did All that right. too. Yep. Core memories. <laughs> These are me. very core like, memories. Yeah, freshman mm -hmm. year, I feel like. You probably were walking to or from class uh, with me and some of our other friends staring at the window, singing to people passing by about them. Was there a reason? What brought you from Hazlitt to Rowan? Mm -hmm. Did you hear about Rowan? Uh, did you have friends that went there? Yeah, I, I had friends that went to Rowan ahead of time uh, and enjoyed it. And I liked it too. And at the time, there were different sized colleges that I was looking at. Uh, and I'd liked the, I really, really liked the fact that Rowan had smaller class sizes than say uh, a Rutgers, not to knock on Rutgers, but I just remember my sister went to Rutgers and she was telling me stories like, oh yeah, some classes I like never even went to because there were hundreds of kids in the class and like, it didn't even matter. And it's it sort of, I wanted like to get to know my professors and talk to them. And I had that opportunity at Rowan, uh, which was unmatched. I felt like I could talk to any professor I needed to, uh, which was really cool. After college, I was teaching high school biology uh, in East Brunswick. And I really absolutely loved it. Uh, I had a great time teaching high school biology, had such amazing memories. Uh, it didn't feel like work, uh, my time in the classroom. Um, so it was absolutely great. Three years after that, uh, I started teaching. Uh, my now wife and I decided to go teach English in South Korea. And it was such a cool experience. We wanted to sort of explore and travel and go way outside of our comfort zone. And I have an amazing memory of uh, working in South Korea. Uh, I was teaching students because of my teaching background and a lot of the English teachers there, they trained them to become English teachers. Uh, due to my teaching background, uh, I was actually, I had the opportunity to like teach the teachers. Uh, so like the teachers that would come over uh, from America or, or Canada, or Australia to come in, or England to come and teach English. Uh, I got the opportunity to like work with them, which I thought was really, really exciting. Uh, welcoming people to Korea and giving them curriculum uh, and giving them tips on how to best engage with their students. It was an absolute blast. Uh, I loved it. I was in Korea at the time, like Gangnam Style came out, that song. Uh, oh, so it was like, it was like really great to be in South Korea. It still is great to South Korea. I, in fact, I very much miss South Korea. There's something so amazing about living in like a mega city 
over there like that. Like so modern, so many cool things, so much to do. People are so friendly. Loved it. After that, while I was there, I started doing like digital marketing, freelancing, almost like as a side gig. I took to it really nicely. Uh, I enjoyed it. I love the element of like helping small businesses and like helping them sort of like get more customers online. I uh, started freelancing and then turned that into a digital marketing agency uh, and been doing that for you know the last 10 years or so. Let's talk about the South Korea thing. So when sure. you when you chose to go there, I mm-hmm. want to know that conversation. Yeah, like, I want to know. Did you just like reach up? into a hat and grab a spot? Was it what was the draw? I had a friend who went about a year before I was there. And I was just looking at his pictures and talking to him about his experience. And it just sounded amazing. Uh, it sounded so cool. Uh, I wanted to travel myself. My wife definitely got me out of my comfort zone too. Because uh, I think if you were to ask me like in high school or even college, like, hey, would you ever go to South Korea to go teach English or anywhere to, to, to go do anything? I would probably say like, no way. Like I'm, I'm happy where I am. Sort of stepping outside my comfort zone has been, you know, one of the best things I think I've ever done. And it was so, so great to, to really experience that. Um, so yeah, I had a friend who went over before me and showed me the ropes. I was able to meet him when I got there. Um, he helped me sort of, uh, with what school to teach at. It was great. So I want to just tap into something here. Cause I don't know that you must have a wide comfort zone. Because I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're singing guitar to some, some random, I could see people that maybe are introverted shy, but I'm not picking that up from you. Mm. What, so your, your comfort zone, what, what won't you do, I guess is what I should say. Yeah. I would say that I'm hyper introverted and I, in fact, consciously try to make efforts to step outside that on a regular basis. So I, I, it's, it's pretty fun, exciting to sort of do stuff like that. But yeah, I would say I'm a pretty quiet person these days. And I know Jessica's probably like, no way. She just bit her pen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would say our college experiences, I feel like we kind of took different paths. We had wound up having different friend groups. Some of our friend group kind of stayed connected and we still are connected to this day, but everybody kind of like found, you know, these different groups. But I would say in the beginning of college, I felt like you were pretty much very outgoing, but you got quieter mm-hmm. over the years. All right. So take us to your bio days. So you studied bio. Why did mm-hmm. you want to study bio? Because this is a diff. You obviously have gone a very different career path than what you studied, which yeah. is pretty common with alums. You know, we're choosing at 18 years old what we want to do forever. That's a, that's a tough choice. But tell us a little bit about why you chose to study bio and what that looked like for you. Yeah. So I'll touch on like the personal aspect of it. Uh, well, number one, like science and biology is just like inherently fascinating. So there's so much to learn and explore. I think on a personal level, you know, I sort of grew up in high school sort of being very class clowny. And I remember at the time I wanted to sort of maybe get more serious. And I was like, Oh, like, I think I qualify for AP biology. And I remember at the time, in the classroom, like saying, I'm going to do like AP biology and some kids in the class, like you're going to do AP biology. And I just developed a massive chip on my shoulder. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, well, here I go. And I liked that component to it. I liked the fact that it was really challenging, that, uh, there was so much to learn. It, it seemed like an infinite challenge, uh, a progressive challenge in the sense that the more that you learned, the more that you got to explore, the more you realize that you didn't know. And I absolutely love that component of it. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm not just naturally drawn to things like that. When you thought about studying it, was there a career path you saw yourself in or you just were interested in the subject matter? Uh, I, I remember I was just interested in the subject matter. I actually started rowing undecided, uh, but sort of like stacked my schedule with a lot of these science classes and then added the teaching component. Uh, I've, I always enjoyed school. I enjoyed high school, I enjoyed middle school. Um, so sort of being able to create that environment for others and like be helpful and like be of service. And again, a lot of it was a chip on my shoulder. Uh, it was in the sense, it was, you know, oh man, can you believe that this person would be a teacher? Um, and just, I guess my career trajectory has been a lot of that chip on my shoulder. Oh yeah. Can you believe now I have a startup, uh, and things of that nature. So you taught for three years post Rowan. Mm -hmm. Top bio. Where did you teach at? East Brunswick High School. East Brunswick High School. Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. And then you just decided, how did you meet? Is it Carolina? Yeah. How did you meet her? Because she's the one that kind of took you to South Korea. So yeah. Oh my gosh. It was in the days of online dating. I would say that we were an early adopter of online dating at days before mobile apps. Uh, in fact, I think when we met, we didn't even have smartphones um, or like smartphones were just becoming a thing. And like we met like online, like having to use a keyboard to type to each other. And because I was a teacher, I like lied about my geographic location. Cause I was like, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't have potential students that graduated like last year oh, potentially find me. Yeah. Right. I put my, oh, I can't imagine what it's like today, but I put my geographic location, like 20 miles more North okay. from East Brunswick. And that intersected me with her and she was living in New York. Wow. And what was she so doing at the time? Work. She has a background in animal behavior. So she was actually working at the New York Aquarium, working with sea lions. After you meet, how? when do you then take off? We left for South Korea, I think two years after dating. And anxiety about finding job, finding work, all that. Where is that on the scale of like, you know, one to a hundred? Cause that'd be like a hundred. So, <laughs> so yeah. So fortunately when you do something like that, there's a lot of pre-planning. So your interview with the school that you would teach at is still while you're in America. And then ultimately what happens is, you know, you go over with a visa in hand that says like, Hey, I can live here for the next year because I'm going to be an English teacher. Uh, and it's contingent on your employment with the school that you're going to be teaching at. And then favorite part over there? The soul itself and the people, uh, that sort of combo. I love the fact that Korea history, like thousands of years old, whereas like in America, you walk around New York and you know, that building's like super old. If it's a I don't know, 80 years old or something like that. Uh, and in Korea, you'd have these ultra mega brand new buildings with like an ultra modern subway that you took to get there right next to several hundred year old Buddhist temple, like right next to each other. And you see so much of that everywhere you go with the food, even though, you know, you might go out to a restaurant and it might look like it's, you know, from the future, you know, you'll be eating something that people ate in Korea, you know, hundreds of years ago or drinking something that people drank hundreds of years ago. So I, I loved that component. And the people were just so amazingly friendly. Uh, like I wanted to go surfing and I was like, Hey, does anyone know someone who can go surfing? And you know, I was asking like Facebook groups at the time and someone saw it. We started talking and he's like, Hey, my girlfriend and I are going out to the, you know, the East coast of Korea. Why don't you and your girlfriend come along? And like, they took us and we went camping on the beach together and they were so gracious and such amazing hosts, uh, showing us around their country and, and, you know, getting to know us. It, it's, it was fantastic. The people there were amazing. Has he sold you, Rob? Ready to go? No. 
Wait, I see what you did there. Has he sold you? I see what you did. Oh, yeah. You are clever. You should work in advertising. No, 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 I'm not ready to go yet. Is there a particular food that you liked over there? Oh, that yeah. That you missed uh, the most? Says the guy who doesn't eat anything. Well, I'm asking him. I'm going to put myself out there. People yeah. know what I do. Yeah, there's this meal. Uh, it's called Jayuktapa. And it's basically pork with a particular type of sauce over rice. It's a very simple dish, but I absolutely loved the. It's like the sauce they put on like gochujang. It tastes really good. I could get down with that. Yeah, that, that yeah. sounds right up your alley. They're so good with meat over there. Like Korean barbecue. Uh, they're so good with meat. So where do you go in Austin, Texas to get your your Korean there's food? Some, there's some Korean barbecue places here. Uh, Korea House is one I go to pretty regularly. Can they compare? The pricing is a lot different because here it's like a novelty. <laughs> over there, it's like, you know, 10, 15 bucks for a Korean barbecue. Over here, it's a novelty. And Austin has really blown up as an area to uh, to move to as far as visit. I know every bachelorette and bachelor party go there now. Yeah. But, but now <laughs> you guys are also on the map as far as like a place to move. Is it you, you're, you're, develop, you're in that development piece? Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's really cool to be in a place that there's a large influx of people for a particular reason. I, the way I like to think about it is like everyone who has moved to Austin came so with some idea in their head of what they wanted to be and like what they hope to get out of it. And then when they get here, they help and participate to actively build that thing. So I thought it's been really fascinating. And I've been here for about seven years now. And I even, I always say, you're a real Austinite as soon as you start complaining over the people who are moving here. Uh, Cause that's like a common thing. It's like, Oh my gosh, there's so much more traffic. Like people who've been here like two months, like back when I, back when I first moved here, there wasn't as much traffic. So I love that component uh, of it, that there's a lot of ambitious people doing cool things that have moved here, which I really resonate with. Uh, like there's like entrepreneur communities here. So I've had a good time like participating in that ecosystem. And, and what was the idea in your head when you decided to go there? Like you said, everybody comes with an idea in, in their head. What was yours? Yeah. So when my wife and I were moving back to America, we basically like made a spreadsheet. Well, I made the spreadsheet. I made a spreadsheet of all the places that we could explore. And, you know, it had places like Miami and New York and New Jersey, like the Jersey shore and like Austin and, you know, all these different places. And we landed in Miami, bought a car and started a little road trip and Miami didn't really resonate with. And then we drove all the way to Austin and we had some friends that were already here. And I think it was, we were there for a couple of days. The food was amazing. I loved the fact that they had uh, like gas station taco trucks. This was the thing that really sold me uh, where it's like, wow, everywhere you go, like if you're just getting gas, you can get like an amazing meal, authentic tacos, like right there. Not like um, a local hot dog at the 7-Eleven. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that. Hey, Five, little things yeah. like that really enrich a day, I think. And I loved that. And we went to, you know, like a co-working space and we were able to just talk to people and like pick up on some of the energy and we're like, okay, this is good. So we only made it to two locations of our big checklist to drive across America. Well, you uh, already knew did. which the Jersey shore had to offer. Yeah. I mean, you grew up, mm -hmm. you grew up there. So that's the, mm -hmm. yeah, you didn't have to necessarily visit that one to check it off your list. So talk to us that's about right. your transition to the tech space and how that happened. So I was doing freelancing in, like I mentioned, the e-commerce marketing field. And I really enjoyed it. And I was using lots of different tools um, to help people on Google, to help people on Facebook. Uh, and then I noticed uh, the sort of like gap in the tools used uh, on Amazon. So I sort of started scratching my own itch. And I started talking to 
you know, different people in the field, in the Amazon marketing space, it's like, Hey, how come there's not a tool that does this? Like oh, that's possible. There's just no one that has, hasn't, hasn't done that yet. So I decided to have this idea. Uh, I took it through uh, an accelerator, like a startup accelerator uh, to get some initial funding and sort of became a, you know, owner of a software company. And it's been really exciting. I've really taken to software. I love the idea of like building things to solve problems for people in a creative and unique way. Uh, it's like a constant puzzle to solve. So I really enjoy that. Again, it's like a constant progressive challenge. Uh, I, I, so I enjoy that component of it. But are you, are you yourself writing code? Or are you just kind con- you're, you're just overseeing the project or what does that look like? Yeah, over time I've picked up some coding skills, uh, but no, I'm not, I'm not coding it myself. Talk to us about that whole accelerator program because I think for especially for so at Rowan now we have such a great program for our entrepreneurship program that we have in our College of Business. Mm-hmm. Share some of your sort of feedback, what you experienced, and, and maybe some folks can kind of hear you, themselves in your story. So I did a an accelerator generator was the name of the accelerator. Uh, they're based out of the Midwest, um, so I lived in Cincinnati for four months. I'm sorry. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cincinnati's a lovely spot. Cincinnati's lovely, lovely. It was actually, honestly, it was pretty great. I lived like downtown in like this hip area. Uh, I was actually incredibly impressed. Uh, lived in Cincinnati for four months. And one of those months was a tour across America where you're like pitching different investors. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I always, I've sort of developed this habit of like, oh, I want to be like the hardest working person in the room. And it was like really hard to do that at the accelerator where you get thrown in, there were like six or seven other companies and you get tons and tons of support. Uh, like who should you talk to to solve this problem? Who should you talk to to solve that problem? You get to interact with a lot of mentor volunteers. So other successful business people who can sort of coach you on specific things to your, uh, you know, to the, to your company. And I had such a great time going so deep and working so hard for so, you know, for that time that, you know, over the course of three months, I was able to maybe get, you know, a year's worth of work done. Uh, and I love the quantitative look that they took at companies as well, where it's, you know, the expectation there was to grow, you know, 20% month over month, every month that you're there, uh, which is a really ambitious growth goal. And I just love that environment where it's like working, get to, you get to work with other and smart people working on cool problems to solve in creative ways. Tell us about Ad Badger and what your company breakup looks like. How, how many folks do you have working for you? You know, how many different Amazon sellers do you work with? Yeah, so there's about a thousand marketplaces on our platform, and we have a team of about twenty. Um, that includes marketers and developers uh, and administrative staff, and it's really fun. Uh, I think one of the things that's most most rewarding is how many people our content touches. So I've taken a really strong stance on content marketing and educating the market. Uh, and I think this comes from like my entrepreneurial archetype, I would say is like educator. So I've carried over a lot of the skills that I've learned and experiences with teaching um, over to the business. So I love, absolutely love turning on the podcast or creating content that's going to teach our industry something. So like there's a new report that 
uh, Amazon companies can use. I love breaking down the report and explaining it. Um, so that's probably one of the most rewarding components about what it is that I do. And, you know, every month, give or take, depending on how you count it, about 25,000 like people are consuming this content. And I find it so, I love that responsibility of like, what are we going to teach people this month uh, to help them push their businesses forward? Uh, I really relish that. And I, I really love the responsibility of that. And then how are you yourself staying sharp or grounded or like, how are, I always like to ask this of, of other, like he's reading yeah. a lot of reports. I know, but I want to yeah. like, do you do like leadership training yourself or you're connected because people like yourself, there's a, there's these entrepreneurs going through accelerating program programs are hardwired a certain way. How are you sharpening that knife? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so number one, I think the act of setting myself up, like getting to the plate and being like, well, we need to teach people a lot this month. Just that impetus alone gives me a lot of motivation to say, okay, great. Like we have a responsibility here. Like let's go. And it's sort of like a self-education process too. A new report comes out. We need to dedicate time to really, really get in there, study the nitty gritty. Let's use it a little bit so that we can turn around and, and tell people what we've learned so far. Uh, also being, so being a perpetual student ourselves, I think makes you a strong teacher. And I think one thing that's led a lot of my entrepreneurial development as a leader has been a lot of, I think it's a really interesting question to explore like why people become uh entrepreneurs in the first place? Like, why do people take on a leadership role in the first place? Uh, and sort of like getting to the core of that. And I sort of mentioned it earlier where it's like, what can I prove to myself? Or like, what can I, you know, I have this chip on my shoulder, like, what can I do with this? And sort of exploring that and unpacking that and using that. Because uh, anyone who starts a company, they carry a lot of their entrepreneurial ownership baggage with them. So if someone's very anxious, they will find that they're creating a very anxious environment. Uh, for their employees. If they're very, you know, hands-off, then, you know, a lot of their team members will be very hands-off. So I think it's so fascinating from a personal development perspective of like, wow, like what baggage do I carry into my company? Like what baggage am I putting on people's, you know, virtual desks or remote, but what baggage am I putting on people's desks that I'm carrying through? Uh, and I think that's been a really exciting, challenging, tricky part of empathetic leadership. That is very deep. I love that stuff, but I could talk yeah. about, I love doing that to mm. try to find that, peel yeah. the onion back to the core. Cause well, people like this do things like that. Right. Is there a core to yeah. an onion? I don't know. Is there a core to an onion? <laughs> I don't know. I, like <laughs> I want to say onion. it's a, it's called a bulb. Okay. Oh, there you go. That's that bio coming on him again. There you yeah, go. It's still there. <laughs> it's still in the root. So why a badger of all these things? Or was it just the alliteration you liked? I love the alliteration. I loved the... I don't know if you've seen the viral video. It was one of the original viral videos about a badger. Someone's voiceovering the like a National Geographic about a honey badger. There's an amazing YouTube video called The Crazy Nasty Ass Honey Badger. And all it is is this badger who's like the Nat Geo. So it's a very serious nature documentary. But somebody voiced over the inner monologue of the badger. So he's like running into a beehive and, you know, he's you know, he's swearing. He's like, I don't care about that. I'm getting stung by bees. Um, or the, the, the honey badger gets bit by a snake, passes out and just gets right back up and keeps going. So it's a sort of like, uh, amazing fortitude and tenacity that the badger had that I was like, let's adopt some of that. I like it. So, I like it. Yeah. It's better than like the ad yeah. llama. That doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> That's you know right. I mean? He's kind of like tired at that point. Like, oh, okay, I'm a llama. What do I do? Amazon sellers. It's interesting, right? Because I mean, listen, I always say if I deleted my Amazon account, I'll be a yeah. rich girl. <laughs> and then she saved all that money. I know. I feel like, you know what? Amazon, I mean, the 
you know, Amazon's so convenient. Uh, mm-hmm. At this point, it's, you know, that you're working with a company in, in which, you know, if you don't have a great um, experience with the seller per se, you can have the mm-hmm. experience with Amazon. So, you know, you, I don't know. At this point, I look for everything on Amazon, which is probably terrible for all the small mom and pops. But when you work with your clients, are they like companies? Are they like Rob and I have a store on Amazon? What 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 does your clientele look like? Yeah. So I, I don't know the statistic, but it's very high. The amount of companies on Amazon that are considered like small business, mom and pop, under $5 million a year in total sales is is much higher than you would expect. I think it might be like 60%. Like if you go and buy something from somebody on Amazon, it is very likely that it can be a small mom and pop, small team, small business type experience. And in fact, Amazon recently started adding a little badge to indicate to that. So I think if someone qualifies for whatever Amazon defines as a distinction for small business, uh, it'll start being labeled more and more because that's actually a conception that a lot of people have. But um, so most companies, like most individual products are going to be actually put up by you know, someone that has an idea for a product and brings it to life. So yeah, the majority of our customers are these sort of, just because that's the composition of companies on Amazon, many of them in terms of the the amount of sellers are actually smaller sub 5 million type companies uh, like the Nikes and the Adidas's and like very, very large companies, of course, are on there and drive a huge amount of revenue. Uh, but there are many, many small sellers. So that's really the composition of our customers, like a lot of small businesses doing really cool things. I think that makes sense because if I'm going to shop for Nikes, I'm going to go to like a department store or I'm going to go to like Nike's website. But if I'm like, I don't care who makes this product, yeah, but this is the him. product yeah. that I want. And I don't necessarily yeah. know all of those small. I, I think that's an interesting thing because I think most people think when you shop Amazon, you're like not supporting, you yeah. know, potentially smaller businesses. Um, and you're able to compare mm-hmm. against other other brands, right? So that's that whole idea too. Mm-hmm. Like if you just went to the a particular retailer, you're only seeing their particular products. Whereas this one, you can kind of see other features, other, other pieces to it. Now, are there any tricks as Amazon shoppers that we should know that you're oh, telling folks to market to us? What should we be in the know about on the other side? You know, anywhere where there's money to be made, there's going to be underhanded people trying to cheat the system. And one of the most nefarious ways are to like fake reviews, right? So like you go to a product, you look at it, and it's got amazing reviews. And uh, this is a little hack. Uh, I've used this periodically as a consumer. There's like tools called Review Meta, M-E-T-A. It's like a little extension. And what it tries to do is try to suss out if it identifies like very common words in reviews. Um, So it's like, does this review look authentic or not? So it sort of analyzes the reviews for a product, uh, which I use periodically. Like sometimes I'll look at a product and be like, does this, is this real or not? Uh, so like I go to review meta and it provides some kind of analysis uh, there. Maybe helping you get an upper upper leg from these. Uh, I always buy like with the most reviews. That's probably, yeah. so I'm probably a sucker for that. Well, see, and I always think that the, 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 the ones that have the reviews, because I feel like people have a good experience. They're less often. You could tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong here too. Like people who are having a good experience with the product are less often Going to review going it. Going to review it. Right, it's right. the people that have the problems that are going to be the squeaky wheel. It, that's actually, so it's really difficult for, I mean, any company online, specifically Amazon sellers, because where reviews matter so much. If you do make a great product that someone just uses and gets their value out of it, 
to, you know, it's going to be like a single digit percentage of their customers that are actually going to go and leave a review. So it's actually really difficult for good companies to like cultivate those reviews. And it's actually against Amazon's terms of service to explicitly ask for reviews oh. or incentivize reviews. So it's, it's really tricky there. Um, so I empathize with companies selling on Amazon. What are you looking at, Rob? No, I'm, no, I'm doing some research here to see if you worked with other yeah. companies. Because obviously Amazon, we've been mentioning as like an online retailer, but I feel like this could scale easily to, because everybody's online. There's so many online mm -hmm. retailers. Does AdBadger contract with, work with other spaces? Uh, yeah. So uh, another company I own is called Search Scientists, uh, and they do Google advertising. You just got all these companies. You're like, hey, uh, look at this chip on my shoulder. Look what I did. Yeah, a little bit of that. And then, you know, you have more personal growth realizing like, oh, I've been living only to prove people wrong. Where does that get me? Uh, and then you can continue to do more growth. Yes. I like how he's analyzing himself here. This is, I know, this it, is important. It's this important. Is important. Mm -hmm. So I, if we could circle back then and get back to when you have downtime and you're not badgering and scripting, what, yep. are, what are we doing for fun? Uh, I'm a member of Austin classical guitar. Um, so I perform a couple times a year with a guitar ensemble. There's about 16 guitarists that get on stage and play some music. Uh, I really, really enjoy that. Uh, classical. Yes. Like your face. Wow. That's not yeah. a Michael Fasheen I recall. No. He was screaming yeah. hands down in well, Chestnut that's Hall. That's right. <laughs> well, because at the same time too, I don't put the, uh, and this is probably just my bad. I don't, I don't put the, uh, the guitar with the classical piece. Yeah. So, uh, so for example, this guitar over here is a classical guitar and I think it's, you know what it is? There's a, there's a, co a common thread in my life. Classical music on guitar is very hard to play. It's very tricky. It's very challenging. Uh, there's a range of pieces and there's pieces, there's, you know, songs that I will probably never be able to play. So being able to take one piece and like work on it for an entire year is so fun and like rewarding to like have that progressive challenge. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like human psychology. Like why do we like video games? It's like every level gets a little bit harder. You know, you get more skills, you get to level up, like all this stuff. So uh, in that respect, like everything I do is very gameful, like starting a company. Okay. That's very gameful. Like you're going to have to learn all these things and acquire all these skills. Same thing with like playing tricky pieces, playing in an ensemble was its own challenge. Like everyone's playing different things at the same time in different time signatures. It was incredibly challenging, especially without proper music training, self being self-taught, but I love all that stuff. What is your most core Rowan memory? Oh, this is great. I really, I don't know if this, it's the most core, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's definitely a core memory. I worked in the biology prep lab and I loved so many moments working in the prep lab with like this staff over there. So basically the biology department, if a professor needs certain things set up for her class, his or her class, they would request, I need so many pipettes. I need so many beakers. I need so many of, of these things. I need this special concoction formulated ahead of time. Like we would go in there when we, we would set it up and I learned so much and I had such a great time over there. You recently welcomed, you and your wife recently welcomed a new addition to the family. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. We just had a baby. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm a new newborn sleep deprived dad right now, uh, but I absolutely love it. And it's been really, really great. And I, I don't, that's really the only word that comes to mind. Like it's been so great holding our little baby. Well, you've experienced so much at this point. So it felt like mm -hmm. 
the next wonderful thing. And yeah. you're really not, I mean, I, I thought I was older too. I think you always feel like, Oh, I'm yeah. to this particular game, but maybe that's just yeah. that little chip on your shoulder. So still trying to, yeah. It. yeah. There, I always say like, Oh, am I behind the curve? It's like, there is no curve. You know, you just do things whenever. Yeah. And I mean, you have two mm-hmm. companies. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Some people don't even have that on their curve. You have two companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, <laughs> No, I have two small, crazy humans, but I don't have two companies. I have this wonderful job at our alma mater, which I do love. But uh, any thoughts about going back to any kind of, I know you have teaching in in your job now as kind of like you said with the podcast and everything, but do you ever think about getting back in a classroom, just maybe adjuncting at a a local college or university and teaching this kind of stuff? Because I think that would be really valuable for students. Yeah. So I've, I do a lot of things that sort of scratch that itch for me. So like, whether it be like teaching our customers things or teaching our market thing. Uh, I also work with big brothers, big sisters, uh, which I absolutely love. Periodically I'll do some events at university of Texas, uh, for their entrepreneurship program, like judging a Texas shark tank comes to mind. Like they do the little, like students will do like a pitch competition. Uh, and I'll be one of the judges feeling so feeling such imposter syndrome because kids are so smart. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, whoa. So yeah, I, I have a lot of, uh, fun doing those things. You should tell people that because I think sometimes like the college student today can get a bad rap, but there's, they are so smart. Oh yeah. They and think they differently have, and they've experienced technology so much differently yeah. than we all have. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So I think that that's, I think we need to tell that story more of how awesome yeah. students are. I'm a firm believer that like progress technology, like even emotional awareness in like younger generation is like, it's always progressed over time. Uh, Like the long arrow of time, like every single generation always is like pushing things forward, developing new things, inventing new stuff, uh, becoming more and more, you know, empathetic and kind. And so I, I feel optimistic about the future. Let's go to the past then real fast and put a bow on this. What does the current Michael say to the Rowan Michael? No, he was Rowan Mike. Oh, Rowan so. Mike. Sorry. Uh, what does what does current Michael say? It's, it's almost like uh, remember Night Rider. No. Where Michael Knight? Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm showing my age right there. What mm-hmm. does Michael say to Mike? Yeah. Besides, make uh, your name longer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> trust yourself. So Michael was cool. I noticed a trend with Michael though. Tell me. You noticed every time he did something, he sent his friends or he used his friend's experience before he tried, he, he tried it itself. So mm-hmm. he said, we asked him about Rowan. What was your experience at Rowan? Well, I had friends that go there and try it mm-hmm. first. He liked that. Then we went to, when he went to Seoul, mm-hmm. he had friends go there first yeah. and try it. He had friends in Austin, Texas. Friends in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Friends in low places. Uh, well, maybe it's a high place. It's a high place. I was referring <laughs> to the country song, but it's okay. But did you know that? Did you catch on that trend? Actually... Yes, but I didn't really think about that. That's so interesting. So where, Michael, where are your friends going to take you next? Although. (laughs) That's a great question. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But I also think, hey, he blazed such a trail for himself. He followed people, but really he blazed a trail on his own due to that like little chip on his shoulder, which I think is really um, insightful to know that about yourself and why you made the decisions that you made, because there's always a reason. And for somebody who's an introvert, took a lot of risk being so entrepreneurial and going out on that limb. Cause that's, that's, that's scary. That is scary. Where would you go if you were not like, what would you do oh. in, in a world where you had no 
barriers oh, would, and you weren't nervous and I'm, money wasn't and jobs weren't a factor, what would you do? Oh, I'm going to London. You're going to live there forever? Forever. And what would you do there? Uh, they're, they're, so they're known for the financial uh, industry. Okay. So I would totally just easily find my way. In fact, when we went there on a trip, Jonesy and I, mm -hmm. I came back. I immediately started looking for jobs over there. Really? Yeah, I was hooked. You loved it. Loved it. Well, maybe you have to follow your gut. I want to go there for like a summer home. Really? Yeah, I would love that. I actually did start to look for, I looked for, actually, now I'm putting this out there. I did look for at home prices a couple of weeks back. And you think you're going to go? It's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't make it where on would that. You, where would you go? Where would I go? Well, now you have a little bit more challenge, but you got to kids. Well, that's the kids. thing. I feel like there's a lot of different factors. But if you just could go on your own and you say, Brian, this is where we're going and that's it. Mm, probably, I mean, this is probably not exciting, but maybe California. Um, I love, I mean, there's still a little part of me that loves that creative space. This podcast is a nice way to get through mm -hmm. that creative space, but I love the like media side of things. So maybe I would, oh, I don't know if I would want to live in LA, but I think maybe I'd, I'd go there and see if I could make something of myself. I really thought you'd say, uh, say Orlando for a certain mouse. I don't know. No, no, no. I could always visit there. I don't okay. know if I want to live in, in there. A lot going on there. We should just do a podcast about ourselves. <laughs> and up next on Beyond the Brown and Gold, an interview with Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. Yeah, Michael well, you, was great, though. Yeah, well, you've heard enough about us in this episode. We hope that you enjoyed getting to know Michael. Check out his uh, company, Ad Badger and Search Scientist, to learn a little bit more about what he does. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.